Welcome to the Don't Pick the Scab podcast with the premise of connecting men over 40 with the tools and community to thrive in their divorce recovery either before, during, or after a divorce. Check it out. Welcome everybody out there to Don't Pick the Scab podcast. David and Dr. Tony Young here. He's a psychologist here in Colorado Springs, a friend of mine, patient, known him for a long time. We even hung out together a couple of jazz concerts, which is even better. But uh, he's got some history of divorce, uh, helping people, getting through divorce, all that good stuff. And let me introduce Dr. Young. So go ahead, Tony, do your thing. I'm the president of the Denver Rocky Mountain Association of Black Psychologists. I'm also one of the past national presidents of the Association of Black Psychologists. Uh, we started the Denver chapter in 1977, and I've been involved with that organization since that time. In 1989, I started Kuma Cultural Collective of Southern Colorado. We uh, conduct the annual citywide Kwanzaa celebration, as well as uh, cultural festivals. And we have uh, an African drumming and dance uh, circle every Saturday, um, as well as African history and cultural study groups, because we believe that it's important that our children and our adults uh, obtain accurate information about our history and our culture. Okay. So you've been practicing mental health for over 40 years in Colorado Springs. Yes. In yeah. fact, uh, started off in 1977 with the local mental health center. I worked as a clinical behavioral specialist with the Department of Corrections in the late 70s. Um, I was also former chair of the Colorado State Board of Parole. You've been so, busy. And yeah, I was also an administrator and clinician at the Colorado Mental Health Institute in Preble, also known okay. as the State Hospital. So I've been around uh, for a long time and also uh, involved with some private practice previously for over 30 years. And I'm about to retire in 19, <laughs> uh, pardon me, uh, the end of June this year. So but, I'm but looking do, forward to But that. do you actually retire, though? Do you actually retire? Well, actually, just slow it down. Yeah, yes. Actually, actually a retirement is, uh, for me, is a misnomer. I'm not going to retire because I'm not tired to begin with. So I cannot retire. I'm going to just simply uh, open a different chapter of my life. I'm going to punctuate my state service after 32 years as a uh, civil service employee and then as an adjunct professor at UCCS here here in the Springs for about 26 years. I'm just going to simply do something. Take it back a little bit. Yes. I'm going to uh, spend more time with the grandkids and travel and and enjoy life. I've done my my work in the community, so now I'm going to do some work on me full time. Let's start off with your world-famous acronym for uh, not just divorces, but for people that get on your nerves or uh, conflict resolution. What's your acronym? Oh, my acronym is FIA. <laughs> and um, let me explain what that means. Um, in 19... Take the back, let's see. Yeah. That was uh, 2004. I came down with diabetes. In fact, I was working three jobs. I was a psychologist uh, at the state hospital in Pueblo, the unit um, manager, the uh, uh, clinical team leader, retired, and I became the acting clinical team leader. Mm -hmm. And one of the psychologists on another unit in the same building suddenly left her position. So in addition to my 50 patients, I also had 50 patients that I get from when she left. I was working three jobs. I kept asking the uh, administration at the hospital, when are we going to fill these other two positions? 
two. Yes. I was working my own and I was filling in <laughs> on two others without one cent more compensation. And I've always have had this can-do attitude. If you give me something to do, I'll get it done. Just step out of my way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but my body, after about four months, said, no, you can't. And the administration at the hospital continued to tell me, well, we'll we're working on it. We're working on getting these positions filled. They weren't doing anything. My body gave out. I ended up uh, having to go to the emergency room. My, glu- my blood glucose was over 1,400. Wow. In the emergency room, they told me I should have been dead or in a, a diabetic coma. But I sat in the hospital for about a week while they were trying to figure out what in the hell I had because they had me on type 1 and type 2 mm-hmm. diabetes medication. And laying in the bed, I realized that if I, if I had died... They just simply would have filled my position and those other two within with, a month or with so. With the three people. Yes, yes. <laughs> so at that point, I realized that I had to be more about taking care of myself, my self-nurturance, my, my health, mentally, physically, um, spiritually. And I had to really develop the FIA. Um, and FIA means fuck it attitude. <laughs> <laughs> there you uh, go. Speaking in some non-clinical terms. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not a clinical term? No. no. Uh, uh, you you won't find it in a book anywhere? Uh, it's up the uh, book of street psychology, maybe. <laughs> but what I had to realize is that having an FIA does not mean that you don't care. It means that you care, but not enough to let anything kill you. It could be children. It could be spouses. It could be jobs. It could be whatever it is. Nothing should be more important in our own health, because without that, we cease to exist. And other people will continue to exist, and you mm-hmm. won't be there to assist in any way because you did not effectively take care of your own mental, physical, spiritual needs. I had uh, that uh, epiphany being in the hospital, and that has resonated with me for the last 20 years. So I understand, I should say, <laughs> last 10, yeah, yeah, last 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's it's been a while. So I take that to heart. And when I see other people who are putting everybody else's needs in front of their own, I tell them that uh, they really would, would be wise to look at how they're spending their energy. Why should we put forth 100% of our efforts to someone else who will not put forth 5% of their effort for us? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we have to be able to, to look at ourselves in such a way that we value our beingness. We do not place other people's lives above our own, even our own children whom we love dearly. They can kill us. They can. <laughs> and they have their own lives. They yeah. don't make their own decisions. And for us to be so wrapped up or enmeshed in their lives, take away from the things that we need to be doing for ourselves, for our own self-preservation, our own mental and physical and spiritual health. So it's almost like when they do the plane, you know, they're going to take off and they tell you to put your mask on first, then your kids. Because you don't put your mask on first, you can't help your kids. You put exactly. your kids' mask on first, you're going to pass out. You're done. Yes. Yeah. And they'll be done, too, because... You just can't help them. <laughs> exactly. So everybody's screwed. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's dive into some divorce recovery uh, topics. What are some of the most common emotional challenges men face during and after a divorce after the age of 40? I kind of concentrate on the age of 40 because people have a house, the kids, the 401k. So the divorce is a little bit different than a younger divorce. What mm-hmm. do you think about that? Well, absolutely. Plus, as we get older, we're engaged, I believe, in more 
retrospection. We take a look at our, our lives. We more consciously analyze what went right, what went wrong with our marriages. Um, but on a very personal level, I can tell you that um, I had to come to, to the realization that I did not pick wives very well. Um, I ignored red flags before I got married because I was in love. <laughs> so, you know. Not love, but love. Yeah, I was in love. love. And I just simply uh, ignored the type of red flags that I would have told my clients to pay attention to. I saw them, I ignored them because I was uh, uh, engrossed with my my passion. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I've been married three times. Uh, first time I was married for, uh, let's see, seven years. The second time, 14 years. And the last time, five. And I had to also realize that um, the divorces are not one-sided. You know, yep, we correct. all have some ownership. Yep. Uh, we can debate about what percentage. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is that we have our own ownership for either the success of the marriage or the, the failure of it. And this is not to uh, attribute blame, but just to simply accept responsibility for whatever it is. Uh, and in my case, looking back, I realized I just did not make the good decisions about spouses. I don't blame my ex-wives. I don't have any hard feelings about them mm-hmm. because they're they're who they are. Yeah. They, they are who they are now as they were before we got married. And if I chose for whatever reason to ignore the warning signs and red flags, that's on me. It's not on them because I chose them. Correct. Wow. What are some of the tips you can use or what are some of the tips you have for managing anger? Because like emotions get out of control. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people get killed, people get hurt, uh, people get butt hurt. Uh, what are some of the things you can do to process, help men over 40, help process the emotions? First and foremost, it's important that we seek appropriate help. And while on one hand, our families and our friends love us, they want the best for us, they do not necessarily give us the best advice. So actually seeking out a professional who can have a higher level of objectivity and to work with someone who is skilled enough to allow you to work through the anger, to work through the depression, to work through all of the emotions that emerge when you're going through the trauma of divorce, because certainly uh, divorces are traumatic. Oh, um, I've never heard of a quote-unquote skit divorce. That's an oxymoron, because divorce <laughs> in itself is an ugly sort of thing. Uh, and most people that I've known professionally and personally have had very bad experiences going through divorces. And uh, some of the anger stems from the fact that uh, too often times not one spouse will go to the bank and take all the assets. (laughs) And what I've been told uh, by women as well as some men, uh, it goes something like this. Um, The wife's girlfriends will tell, tell her, you know, if I was you, I would go to the bank, get all of the money out before he does. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, that's a little bit crazy, and it's pretty evil and mean spirited because if you take all of the resources, and illegal too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, that stuff gets fought out in court. 
But the idea is that you, you're going to take all of the assets that you had jointly just for your own use. That's just evil and mean. And men particularly who may have, in fact, earned more than their spouses. And even, and even if they didn't, the whole idea is that one is going to take it upon themselves and just take all of the assets yeah. just out of being mean or um, succumbing to bad advice from friends or family is just totally stupid because people come together uh, in a loving way and as friends when they get married and to totally, totally Turn just, it uh, off. destroy. Turn around. Boom. Yeah. That is just a horrible, hurtful thing to do. So helping men to uh, cope with their anger is something which really takes time because um, we have to realize that uh, while we're told that women are more emotional than men, mm-hmm. I think that's very circumstantial. It depends yeah. upon what the situation is and what the issues are that they're engaged in. But the anger that comes out when you feel betrayed and knowing that someone intentionally did something to hurt you, to get men to just sit down and settle themselves and realize that, okay, despite what has happened to us, we have to keep a level head. We have to seek help and do the best that we can to balance out our emotions and not just simply uh, succumb to them. Tee off, yep. Yeah, because that's so harmful, not only to uh, the men themselves, but if there's children involved or you and the uh, estranged spouse have mutual friends, you may have a pretty, uh, positive familial relationships with her side of the family. You don't want to, to destroy uh, those relationships any more than they're going to be naturally through that process. But we can definitely do a lot more damage. In fact, um, um, we should be mindful that uh, we can always make a bad situation worse. And when we're not mindful of our own behavior, our own emotions, we can truly make a bad situation worse. And we're we're seeing that. I used to work in the prison system here in Colorado back in 1979 for a number of years. And I saw people in prison because they allowed their passion to overcome them. Men who murdered their uh, uh, estranged wives Mm -hmm. or their estranged wives, lovers, and on and on and on. I've seen that. People who actually were the perpetrators. So there's a lot of very negative consequences for men not controlling their anger and their depression. The other part of that, of of this, is that, of course, the flip side um, of of anger is depression. You know, they're like two sides of the same coin. Um, So being able to not succumb to substance use. I don't care if it's excessive marijuana or cannabis use, if you will, or other substances, alcohol being the most common mm-hmm. uh, abuse substance, other than prescribed medications, of course. Um, so being able to get the help that you need for your depression, which is, of course, once again, the flip side of anger, being able to uh, work on those very uh, diligently on a daily basis. Sometimes moment by moment, because emotions emerge when we least ex- uh, expect it. All so, of a sudden. So mm. we may have one of those uh, <laughs> visceral moments when we're thinking about our estranged wife or our um, a divorced wife. Yep. And we may get back in, into the moment with our passion, 
that passion not being the positive passion, but all of the negative things that may emerge and not to engage in that uh, outside of uh, getting uh, the therapeutic help that we need. Uh, in therapy, we can release. We can say anything we want to except that we're going to harm ourselves or, 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 or harm <laughs> someone else. Red you flag, know. red flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have to be very careful about making statements like that because yep. uh, psychotherapists have a duty to report yep. legally and professionally. So we don't want to get into that type of ideation, but certainly it's a safe place to emote. It's a safe place to just do a, a emotional dump if you need to, because the therapist who engage in this type of work should be um, uh, experienced enough and, and skilled enough to help someone work through those issues. Yeah. Some of the people I've talked to um, more than once, you know, we're talking about the negative issues, suicide. And I remember before I went through my divorce, I thought that suicide was one of the most uh, selfish things you could do. Mm-hmm. But until you hit rock bottom, you can't say that. And also from a standpoint uh, of suicide isn't really trying to kill yourself or making the pain stop. Well, um, that's one way of looking yep. at making the pain stop or I want to show that bitch, <laughs> you know, which is a crazy, excuse me, once again, using a non-clinical That term. makes no sense. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense because we know that suicide is a permanent answer to a temporary problem. Correct. Suicide, of course, solves nothing. Uh, and if people are impulsive um, and so self-centered, that they're not considering the damage that they're doing to other people who they love. Their own uh, nuclear family, maybe close friends, maybe colleagues who they're very close to. To just simply say, I'm going to kill myself because it's going to stop the pain. Well, pain is temporary for all of us. Even the physical pain, for the most part, unless we're in some chronic condition physiologically, it's a temporary condition. And as human beings, as adults, we learn to cope with pain. We find ways to relieve the pain, both those which are um, uh, wise and those which are unwise. We know how to, on some level, uh, make the pain reduce itself. So don't succumb to the pain. Oh, absolutely. And pain is something that we grow through, something that we work through. Um, It's almost like people who don't want to work through the pain simply don't want to grow through their experience. And that's what the pain is telling us, is that there's something amiss. There's something wrong emotionally because we're we're distraught. Mm -hmm. And our our spirits are telling us, you know, you need some relief. Well, there's some appropriate ways to gain relief from from emotional pain, and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of inappropriate ways. But we have to do what is wisest for (laughs) us. Definitely. Okay. Uh, let's talk about identity because you go from a husband provider to, and then your identity changes. How can a man over 40 deal with that? Cause that's a huge shift. Well, it's a matter of perspective because let me give you a, a concept in psychology and also our African ancestors taught us something very well. And that's, it goes something like this. Um, if you believe a thing is real, it becomes real in its consequences. So we have to redefine what we mean and how mm-hmm. we define ourselves. Because we have the power to do that. If we allow 
society, quote unquote, whatever in the hell that is, <laughs> or other people's values to define as there lies the trap. If you were a provider and a good person before the divorce, you are still a provider and a good person after the divorce. The question okay. is, who are you providing for? <laughs> You're providing for yourself and for other people other than your ex-spouse. It does not make any less of a provider just because you don't have a spouse. You still have the same responsibility for your own personal upkeep and for any other loved one who you still have some type of uh, responsibility for or obligation to. It could be a, a parent. Uh, it could be a child. It could be a, uh, some other relative. It could be a close friend. So we still continue to provide. And for those of us who are involved with community work, mm-hmm. we continue to provide for our community activism and whatever, at whichever level that is or whatever form that takes. So things don't stop. No, things don't stop unless you believe that they stop. If yeah. you believe that you're less of a man or less of a woman because you got divorced, uh, that's how you're defining yourself. But you have the power to change that. So it's kind of like, are you a divorced man or are you a single man? Well, see, that's that dichotomous thinking. You know, in our society, in Western society, we're famous for dichotomies. Mm-hmm. It's either or, you know, um, we're into um, um, binary thinking. That's another way of looking at it. You know, it's either or. Mm-hmm. And from a cultural vantage point, now I'll speak from a, uh, an African-centered cultural vantage point. And all cultures have their own particular way of looking mm-hmm. at, at this reality. So I'll just use mine, uh, since that's one I'm the expert in. <laughs> um, when we think about um, our, our self-perception, when we think about who it is that that we think we are, well-rooted in our own self-esteem, our cultural groundedness, if you will. Mm -hmm. Because we can use those things as a source of strength to combat all of the binary thinking or dichotomous thinking that we engage in, because we're not either or. From a cultural sense, we're both and. Okay. So, yes, it's very possible to be a good person and a bad person at the same Same time. time. And in fact, we have to deal with our own cognitive dissonance. Uh, and I'm referring to cognitive dissonance being the uncomfortable feeling that people get when they're confronted with information that contradicts information that they already have. So, we'll, so we have this new information that really contradicts what we have always thought, okay. if you will. Example, okay, you're a good person because you're a husband. Well, if you're no longer a husband, are you no longer a good person? <laughs> no no not at all you can be a wonderful person and be single again so we even have to redefine what we call divorce um what does that mean are we looking at the legal definition or are we looking at the cultural meaning of of divorce are we just simply single again rather than the stigma of quote-unquote being a divorcee what the hell is that i mean in western society something which is very negative Mm-hmm. Many other cultures look at divorces like, okay, it didn't work out. You, know, you move on. Move on. Not America. <laughs> yeah. And and once again, I believe that's because um, in a cultural sense, that's how Western society, European society mm-hmm. look at divorce. Uh, in African uh, cultures, and we can go back to the ancient Kemets 
or the ancient Egyptians, as the Greeks called them. It was divorced back then. And divorce had a whole different connotation, a whole different meaning. Women has, had as many rights in, uh, in the Egyptian society than men had. Equal. There was no thing about, well, the kids go with the, the mother or that, you know, the uh, a wife is a property of the husband. It, that was totally alien Mm-hmm. to our ancient African ancestors. Uh, but once again, culturally, we look at it real differently. So I would dare say that we have to avoid errors in transubstantiation. We don't okay. use uh, definitions and values of one culture to uh, try to understand the values and cultural meaning in other cultures. We have to be very specific. When we say divorce, the question becomes, what does that mean to you? Not what it means to somebody else. It doesn't mean what somebody else has told you about what it is. The real issue is what does divorce mean to you? What what connotations, both positive and negative, do you attribute to the state of being single again? For many people, it's a way of starting over. Say, well, it didn't work last time, so let me just regroup, go to the sidelines, Mm -hmm. since this is a football season. Let's go to the sidelines and figure it out. Let's figure out another strategy for our lives. That R is me, myself, and I. Yep. We have to figure this out for ourselves. And then get back on the playing field, if you will, and say, okay, I, I have some new strategies of how I approach get after it. this, this okay. game of life. <laughs> and not stay stuck on the sidelines, because too often times we foreclose on the possibility of happiness in other relationships because of, of our histories mm-hmm. of having uh, unsuccessful marriages. And what I would say, um, we can take an, uh, an analogy from a, a turtle. Turtles only move ahead by sticking out its neck. Otherwise, it does not, it does not move at all, forward or backwards. It's, it's in a stationary position. So we cannot afford to become stagnant in how we look at ourselves or the possibility of having healthy, fulfilling relationships with others and always being mindful of the fact that no one can make you happy. You have to make yourself happy. It's almost like taking a chance every time. Absolutely. It is. It's a risk. And if you don't want to take the risk, you don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere at all. Not in terms of having another human being in that capacity for you to have a companion Mm -hmm. or a mate or some people say, soulmates, soul twins, whatever. You foreclose on all of those possibilities when we just simply say, I'm tired of trying or I'm sick sick and tired of being sick and tired and say, okay, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to go with the flow and I'm going to avoid relationships or men many times and women too, that they're not, (laughs) that this issue I'm going to mention is not exclusive to men, but definitely sometimes some men become quite exploitive of women and just simply see them as sexual objects mm-hmm. for things to be used. And to me, that's just wrong and mean because karma is real. Yep. Karma is a real thing. Yep. <laughs> and if you put out that, that negativity, it really comes back to haunt Come you. I can get you. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a member of a couple of Facebook groups, uh, men, men, uh, divorcing, divorce men, Facebook groups. And one of the common themes I see, which kind of frustrates me, is a lot of the men have trouble not being acceptive of not being able to control what happens at the spouse's or ex-spouse's house. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, my experience personally has been if I really don't give a damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, because uh I that person's out of my space, yeah. I'm out of their space. What they do with their lives is their responsibility. I have nothing to do with it. So as far as some men that I've known who would get jealous, they would go over mm-hmm. to their uh, exchange spouse or the ex-spouse's uh, residence and rave hell because they're with someone else. Well, look. Well, even with the co-parenting phase, too, that yes. you can't control Absolutely. what happens over there. And, and in fact, my best advice for men or women who are engaged in that type of mentality, control yourself. Yep. That's the only thing that you have control over anyway. It's, it's a, a delusional to think that we can't control anybody other than ourselves. And sometimes we don't do a good job of that. No, exactly. So for us to be so hung up on whom our uh, ex-spouses with, that's just, it's wasted brain cells. Because there's nothing you can't control anyway. Why would you want to? Oh. You know, what is it about you that have to have control over somebody else? Well, one of the stories I remember reading was the ex-wife was making the daughter call the new boyfriend daddy. And the guy couldn't let it go. It's like, why? You know, that really doesn't matter. All you have to do is control your house and make memories with your daughter and be the best dad you can. That's all you can do. That's the wisest thing to do. Yeah. We, well, once again, we can always make a bad situation worse. <laughs> and we're, we can be experts at that. Yeah. And some people have, and they find themselves while well, I used to work. Or you part of corrections. <laughs> <laughs> so all that, oh. all that can be avoided. And once again, if we use our wisdom, if we use professional advice and we seek appropriate help uh, through uh, mental health professionals, we can really resolve a lot of our own issues or at least keep it balanced so that we maintain our equilibrium as we struggle with all of the emotional trauma of having to go through a divorce. Yeah. So on the way out to the interview, we're going to talk about what encouragement or wisdom would you offer men over 40 facing the challenges of rebuilding their life after a divorce they never expected? Okay. Wonderful question, Doc. And the short answer is to really, first and foremost, appreciate their own value. Appreciate the fact that for whatever reason, and this is not to lay blame at the feet of the ex-spouse, but to understand their own responsibility to whatever caused the marriage not to work. Uh, It's okay. And to be able to forgive oneself. If you're able to to do that, it is then possible to forgive the ex-spouse for whatever happened during the marriage. We have to be willing to let go of it, but we can only do that if we're willing to forgive ourselves with integrity, not just go through the verbal exercise saying, oh, I Actually forgive means. me, I forgive you. It's like, no. That, um, once again, using a non-clinical term is, is simply bullshit. You really have to do this authentically. You have yeah. to forgive yourself to allow you to move forward with your own life. And if you can do that, everything else falls into place. It's a healing process. And forgiving yourself and forgiving your ex-spouse is just a way of letting go. It doesn't mean that you're going to forget all of the things mm-hmm. that happened. Well, no. We learn, we learn from experience. We should never forget an experience. To forget is stupid. It's foolish. Because life is all about 
learning from our experiences in every dimension. Good and bad. Because then we learn to do something better. Or as yeah. Spike Lee would say, we become more better through experience. So no, we don't suppose to forget. It's wise to forgive so that you can let go of that negative energy and move forward and, and apply that energy in ways that are beneficial to your life and to, and to the other people you care about. Wow. All right, Doc. I think we just hit the top of the iceberg, but we're going to go ahead and close it out on this Sunday afternoon and have to come back and get after it again. But we appreciate you taking time and coming by on your busy day. Uh, We'll have you back and do it again. That was well. Thanks, Doc. Stay well. Stay blessed. Take care. Bye-bye.